Here's to the finest crew in Starfleet. Engage. Watch your back, son. I'm Luke. I'm Captain Captain Janeway of the USS Voyager. Captain Captain Janeway of the USS Voyager. Welcome to the Greatest Generation to Star Trek podcast by a couple of guys who are a little bit embarrassed to have a Star Trek podcast. I'm Ben Harrison. I'm Adam Franica. <laughs> Who's got one thumb and is Adam Pranica? Yeah, that's me. <laughs> I'm feeling great today, Ben. Yeah. You know why. New computer day. New computer day. <laughs> Woo! It's important to spray your beverage. Some long drink. All over your brand new keyboard. Yeah. <laughs> that new keyboard feels so nice. Oh yeah, it really does. All the old bugs have been replaced with new bugs. That feels good. It's very interesting. My perspective of you has changed so much with New Computer Day. You're you're using your iPhone as a webcam, and so mm-hmm. it's below your eye line and not above your eye line, giving you a, a sense of dominating the frame. You're the character with the advantage in the scene. Oh, no. Whereas I have my camera set up so that it's above my eye line, and I'm the character at a disadvantage in the scene. I'm, I'm on my back heel. In the language of film. That might be true, but in the room, your frame is above my iPhone frame. Yeah. So it's very, I'm looking up at you. (laughs) We're like a Morbius strip of bad movies turning around on itself with no beginning and no end. (laughs) A Morbius strip indeed. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) We are a student film that has really fucked up eyelines is what we are. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, that'll happen. As a student filmmaker, you only ever realize that once you're in the edit. Yeah, yeah. If you're lucky. And then sometimes you only realize it at the screening. It's tough, man. I definitely shot at least one film I can remember where we shot one side of a scene and we're shooting on film. Uh And we were like, hey, do you remember what the setup was? Because I don't remember whether he was looking to camera right or to camera left. So when we shoot the other side of the scene, which was in a different place. Like we were trying to make two places look like one place. Uh I can't remember which way the guy's supposed to be looking. And we fucked it up. We didn't like, nobody remembered. (sighs) Nobody wrote it down. That sucks. We got the eyeline wrong and it was like, it was film and we didn't have an optical process where we could like flip it and, and fix it in post, you know? So brutal. This was very, very primitive stuff. Yeah. (laughs) Fuck, man. Yeah. Yeah. Bad. Embarrassing. I never shot on film in college. I'm so envious every time I hear these stories. Like I was XL2. Yeah. I was DVX100. Yeah. I was, uh, what was Panasonic? Panasonic PD150? That was the DVX100, no, I thought. What am I thinking of that the was like the long Oh, The, long the PD150 was a, was a Sony camera. Maybe I'm thinking of that one. For a time, yeah, it, it was the big brother of the DVX ten. I want to say, yeah, yeah, man, yeah. That you could find those at any LA area Goodwill, right? Like, whatever <laughs> happened to those cameras? <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, they're they're around probably. I mean, you got to play with film a lot when you were a projectionist, right? Yeah, that's where I got my film kicks for sure. Yeah, and you still have a lot of those movie trailers, right? I know, I know. Gotta, we got to do something about that. Got to do our movie trailer film festival. 
one day we'll have all of the Star Trek film movie trailers. I think we've got two of them between the two of us. But uh, we got to collect them all. That's what we got to do. Yeah, that'll happen. I've, I should turn my Jaegers into film trailers. That's what you do with the Jaeger bubble. You cash it in. Yeah. I mean, I've been a hold on Jaeger for mm-hmm. years now. Mm-hmm. Maybe it's time to sell. You've been hodling your Jaegers? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's a seller's market now. You know what they say about these kind of speculative currencies, like... Uh, Somebody that has a huge amount of assets locked up in Ethereum or mm-hmm. whatever mm-hmm. can't actually liquidate it for its market value because there aren't enough people that actually want to put that much money into a speculative currency. Right. There just isn't a way to to actually liquidate it. And I wonder if that's the corner you've painted yourself into with these Jaegers. I mean, you keep using the word speculative as if what I've done here with the Jaeger bubble isn't actually a great investment, which it has been. <laughs> it worked, Ben. Fortune favored yeah. the brave yeah. in my case. <laughs> Surely you're not saying it's unexplainable. Yeah. But I mean, to your credit, you're also not trying to, it's not a last fool in scam where you're, you're not trying to bait people into buying Jaegers at this point. Yeah. I mean, the thing that makes crypto biffs <laughs> distinct from other cryptocurrency uh-huh. is that uh, it's the scarcity, Ben. Right, right. And there are only ever going to be this many Biff Jaegers. Nobody can make more Jaegers. And if I control them all, mm-hmm. I control the market. Yeah, yeah. You're a real Jaeger magnate. <laughs> <laughs> it's crazy how long that bit on the show has lasted. That goes way back. goes way back to the beginning. <laughs> I love Argyle. I think he's the greatest. <laughs> Did you know the name of that actor is Biff Yeager? Which is wow. an even cooler name than Argyle, if you ask me. Yeah, that's really, that's season one TNG bit. Yeah. Shout out to Biff Yeager. Big love to Biff. Yeah. To Biff and Biffs. Biff's got some uh, some TikTok videos going these days. Hell yeah. Get it, Biff. Biff's making artwork in the, uh, he's making like computer generated artwork. Yeah. He's doing all kinds of cool stuff. Yeah, he's busy as hell. We stand a legend. Sure do. Sure do. Well, Adam, speaking of legends. Hi, bitch. There's a legend <laughs> of comedy. <laughs> you said it, Ben. <laughs> you said it, not me. <laughs> do you want to get into this episode of Star Trek Voyager? I can't wait. After that start. Ben, talk about <laughs> Star Trek Voyager Season 4, Episode 14, Message in a Bottle. Reverse course. Unless you've got something a little bigger in your torpedo tubes, I'm not turning it around. <laughs> we start with a very cross BLT. She's, uh, she's angry about uh, one of her colleagues, a colleague who's cold and uncool to work with. Who could it be? Who could she be talking about, Adam? I know she can be difficult. Difficult? She's impossible. Yeah, I mean, there's only one person that fits this description. I was like so ready for this to be a switch em up joke, you know? Oh, like, yeah. Like, she's cold. She's ice. Like, and then it's like, it's Ensign Wildman. Ugh, she sucks. Everybody hates her. <laughs> like if uh, BLT didn't use pronouns and it's revealed to be Vorik, the end. <laughs> <laughs> really hard to work with, total pain in the ass, not nice, punched me in the face and assaulted me that one time. 
You know, <laughs> Boric. Part of the problem is your attitude. <laughs> wah, wah. <laughs> yeah. I had this experience once in a workplace, Ben. I was working with someone who was a real drag and for a long, long time. And I finally, just shooting the shit with an upper, upper manager. They were like, hey, how are things going? And I was like, do you really want to know? <laughs> and I made the mistake in believing this manager's sincerity and like, yeah, lay it on me. And I was like, well, morale around here has not been great. And here's why. Whoa. And uh, that did not work out for me because it began a conversation that ended with me being called naive for believing in a uh, workplace that could be joyful in any way. <laughs> like, uh, yeah, yeah. This I was conned into being honest with an authority figure, and you can never do that in a corporate style workplace. Got to watch your six. Do you think that that's what Chakotay is doing to uh, to BLT here? He's he's shining her on to get her her frank opinion, so that he can then pull the rug out from under her. Well, the thing about Voyager is no one is going anywhere else to get another job. Like, this is it. Yeah. So you got to yeah. make it work. They're the only shop in town. <laughs> I do believe in Chicote's sincerity, but his angle is also like, you're not going anywhere and neither is Seven. What can I do? I can't do anything. You got to figure it out. Find a way to deal with her. You got to put things back right with Seven. <laughs> 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 you just made things right with eight of nine. If you like pina coladas, <laughs> oh, shit. Eight of nine, the other Borg's character that has not made it to screen yet. Yeah, and, and hasn't been separated from the collective. Eight of nine is just off screen. <laughs> Karen never pans over to that <laughs> side. With He's there. Yeah. <laughs> you can feel their presence. Chicote gets ordered down to the Astro Astrometrics Bay by the rude crew member in question. Yeah. Yeah, and BLT is like, I'm telling you, Chicote. See? <laughs> you see how she is? You asked for an example of what's <laughs> wrong with Seven, and there it sits. Exactly. Chicote kind of likes powerful women, though, huh? I think that's kind of his thing. Yeah. You think he's working, he's thinking about building Seven a bathtub? Do you think if, if Seven got into a bathtub, it would be like a toaster being dropped into a bathtub? We need to pull it out. <laughs> yeah. Assist me. God help us if she ever learns about love and then has her heart broken and cries. She's going to rust out. Chakotay, like, makes the tub and gets in it. <laughs> seven, I've drawn us a bath. And then Seven gets in. And then that's it for Chakotay. Two crew members were killed in the breach. <laughs> Stand down, Redford. <laughs> the captain and Chakotay make it down to the Astrometrics lab. Uh, Seven has big, exciting news. It's a Starfleet vessel on screen. Yeah. Look at this thing. It's like an oasis when you're in the, in the desert. Yeah. It almost doesn't look real. Yeah, they're rubbing their eyes. They're like shaking their heads. Do my eyes deceive me? Yeah. It's rubbed eyes to, to theme. <laughs> After the theme, we are, uh, the, the crest has fallen. Yeah. Because hold your horses. This ship isn't anywhere near us. Yeah. It's over in the A-quad. And at this point, I stopped listening to any dialogue in the show because I saw a Judson Scott credit here, Ben. 
Oh yeah. <laughs> that'll uh that'll kind of ruin your ability to focus, won't yeah. it? <laughs> Somebody's saying, Adam, focus on the episode, and you're like, I, I can't! can't. What Seven neglected to mention is that she has patched herself into this network of abandoned alien communication satellites that are spread in between this part of the D quad and the part of the A quad that this ship is in. Yeah. And this ship is passing within sensor range of one of these satellites, but it's about to leave. They've got 41 minutes to make contact. And if they can do it, they'll have their first message home that isn't shifted back in time and to a Romulan that they can count. This is so exciting. Like you can feel the need for this to work. They they thought they'd had a way to send messages before and it's never worked. Yeah. It's always been a disappointment. It's always gotten fucked up one way or another. Yeah. Back on the bridge, Janeway sends a message. Yeah to this ship on the other side and it's got their location and instructions on how to communicate and wouldn't you know it they get a message back everyone's pumped yeah they're responding right away yeah but it's like that bad cell phone connection thing where you're like talking but you hear your own voice coming back at you and it like short circuits your brain and you like can't process the language that's coming out of your own head janeway is like uh I like how that captain sounds. A strong authority <laughs> figure with a heart of gold. I cannot wait to meet in person. I wonder what she's doing with her hair this season. <laughs> Boost the amplitude on both the hair and that other captain's voice. I love her take when they realize that they are not going to be able to punch through when she like throws her hands up in the air. Yeah. This is... A very expressive Kate Mulgrew episode throughout in a way that I really enjoyed. I think she she really nails the feeling that you would have like, oh, God, we have so little time. Let's make this work because they have like yeah. 16 minutes left by the time they've reconfigured whatever they need to reconfigure. Yeah, the problem is what they're flushing down this pipe. They need something stronger. Yeah, the signal's degrading and the idea of a holographic signal comes up. That wouldn't degrade if you sent it over this long of a distance. Not at all. And what's the risk? You're just sending the dock over there. Yeah. Am I making any sense here? Who gives a shit? He wouldn't mind. (laughs) (laughs) And I love this scene, right? Because BLT basically kidnaps the dock and takes him to the lab. And he's briefed so quickly. Yeah. He has less than a minute to decide whether or not to go on this mission. There are so many 90s movies where like a scientist gets home from the university where they work and then like the feds are knocking on their door and like 30 seconds later they're in a Chinook like approaching the alien landing site being briefed or whatever. And that kind of felt like how the doctor gets press ganged into this mission. It's, It's like your life will be in danger. You may never come back. But the thing we get if it, if this works is contact with the A-Quad, and we would really like to do that. So what do you say? There's coffee in that interlink frequency. Good luck, Doctor. The tension in this scene is coming from so many different areas, and some of them I feel like aren't intentional. It's a great scene for the Doc because it's hero shit. Like, he doesn't know if yeah. he's coming back, but he knows the significance of the mission, so so he chooses to go. But also, no one tells him what to say. And we know the doc to be kind of an awkward person, and that's putting it mildly. Like <laughs> he's awkward around people. So making him your your representative to send yeah. this message without giving him any sort of coaching, I thought 
was an aspect to this scene that was baked in, but but totally like unregarded. Yeah. I mean, it's just that he knows more than any of the other holographic characters we've gotten to know. Like you couldn't send Sideschlong guy. You no. couldn't send Leonardo da Vinci on this mission. <laughs> How confused would you be if you're that ship over there? <laughs> An LDV comes through the pipe. Not today. Not on a Da Vinci's watch. You know what? That may be a Federation ship out in the D quad, but based on what they sent us through the network. We don't want them back. Yeah. Should we report this? No. <laughs> Better forgotten about, it seems like. Yeah. Objection noted. We'll do this without you. Do it. Do it. Objection noted. We'll do this without you. The dock is pretty quickly disassembled on the pad of the uh, astrometrics lab and appears in a strange six bay that we've never seen before. Yeah. It's an empty six bay. It's uh, it's that of Starship Prometheus in the A-Quad. The dock appears to be alone. He's uh, walking around the six bay. He's asking anyone to respond to him. Sick bay calling anybody. No one does. He ends up talking to the computer. And I love this bit of business here with the camera moves because we're walking around with the doc and seeing no one until we see the body on the ground. And this is a really <laughs> fun reveal. Yeah, yeah. I, I thought it was funny that they didn't play this for like a freak out moment. It's not yeah. a jump scare. No. Like you see the body kind of like incidentally in the frame before he finds like a phaser burn and then a different body. Yeah, it's really it, subtle. It's nice. Everybody on this ship is dead. He finds one person that's like not quite and is trying to bring him back. But uh, it only works long enough for this guy to wheeze out that Romulans have taken over the ship. This is what happens when you stay at your post, Ben. Yeah. When everybody else runs, get hamburger all over your face. Hey, when everyone else runs, maybe you should run is the <laughs> lesson I'm learning from Star Trek. Yeah. Unless you want to be taken to the bridge for some reason instead of Six Bay. Speaking of the bridge, we get our first shot of Judson Scott. Raise shields and prepare to fire phasers. He is the Romulan in command of this commando squad that have taken starship prometheus he cuts a rakish figure in the middle of this bridge doesn't he he really does and like you know most romulans have their bangs like super mm -hmm. straight across his kind of come down in this like widow's peak yeah configuration he looks great they really read romulan but it's also a slightly different look than we've gotten from a lot of the others. And how about this bridge too? It looks very different from most other Starfleet bridges we've seen. I know. Like one Loki, one of the most impressive things about this episode is how many sets they built to do it yeah. and how cool they are. I read that there remains some argument about what set this is for this bridge. Some people believe it to be the motion picture enterprise bridge. Whoa. And other people believe it to be the Enterprise E movie bridge. Hmm. But if it were either of those, it would be totally recarpeted and painted in this eggshell color, right? Yeah. And like if it's the E bridge, they built it up a ton. Like yeah. they had to put like risers in to make it work in the 4 3 aspect ratio of television. I thought it was strange as hell that, uh, you know, how I hate research fuck that <laughs> like that there was no consensus on what set this was yeah i really couldn't figure it out has nobody come forward from the set design department 
I'm looking at the camera right now, Ben. Mm. If you know what bridge set this is, come forward. Yeah. There is no reward for this information. No. It's just that inquiring minds want to know. Yeah. That should be reward enough. Where'd it come from? Where'd you guys get this cool set? Did you build it from scratch? Surely you didn't. It really looks like a bridge set that is going to show yeah. dirty boots, you know, <laughs> uh, fingerprints. Yeah. It, it looks like the house of your parents' friends that was like really nice, like too nice to play in. Yeah. yeah. You don't want to play in that house. You're going to get that kid in trouble. When I was about like 11, our dog ran away and we went out to this guy's house who specialized in making lost pet posters mm-hmm. and we got like the stack of posters from him at his house and we walked in and in retrospect, I'm guessing this was a gay gentleman, but as an 11 year old, I just took in his house, which had like polished marble floors and white furniture and white rugs and everything. And was just like amazed. I'd never seen a house that looked like that. And my mom muttered under her breath, this guy doesn't have kids. (laughs) That is such a law and order character. The guy who designs... Lost pet signs. Yeah. Turned out he was the one that took the dog in the first place. Yep. What? That was my suspect number one. <laughs> there's bangers getting dropped on this ship, and there's a Del Sol class starship in pursuit. Oh, I love this scene so much. You know how much I love a Del Sol. Yeah. I looked up uh, the ship's registry, the USS Bonchoon, oh. which is uh, many people's favorite part of a Korean meal. Yeah. I love that stuff. <laughs> you know what they need is they need way more bonchoons out in space to uh, bring this ship out of warp. Yeah, right. Because uh, you always have to stand in line because there just aren't enough bonchoons. Yeah. So yeah, this is all happening while the doctor is down in Six Bay kind of banging his head against the wall because he can't get much information out of the computer. He can't use comms. Everything is locked out. Everything is like above his clearance level. When he's asking the computer about what kind of ship this even is, he doesn't have clearance for that. Yeah. What can you show me at my clearance level? It's very frustrating. He's asking about some of the tactical data on this ship, which, uh, you know, he wants to know what this multi-vector assault mode that's referred to in the owner's manual is all about. And the computer won't give it up, but the episode sure will. This is like, uh, we all had the Star Trek The Next Generation technical manual, and we all remember the picture of the saucer section landing on the surface of a planet. And you're like, (laughs) what would that ever look like? What would that even be? Yeah. And it took years for us to finally see that in Star Trek Generations. In this episode, it's asked and answered scene to scene here. I know. It's amazing. Multi-vector assault mode looks like a ship breaking into three pieces, and this is the Prometheus is a ship with four nacelles. Yeah. So in the star drive section, the star drive section splits into two pieces that have two nacelles each. And then the shovel section also has some sort of engine attached to it and it whips around and all three of these pieces fire on the Del Sol class. And this sequence is so weird for how truncated it is, right? Because we see it being damaged, but we don't see it fall out of warp or explode or whatever. Yeah. You only know that the danger is over by the ROMs like looking over at the injured guy in the back and, and taking him to six bay. Right. There's no report of what befell this Del Sol. We we have to hope that it wasn't destroyed, but we don't God, know. God, I hope so. Do not destroy a Del Sol. Yeah. 
our first interaction with the EMH and these ROMs is when one guy who got singed by an exploding computer panel gets brought down to the six bay by another ROM and he has to play it cool, play it like he's the EMH for this ship that's supposed to be there. And he is uh, happy to treat any patient that darkens his door, no matter whether they're an invading army or not. Great moment for the doctor here, I think. Great scene. Yeah. This guy is in pretty bad shape, though. His diagnosis is an operation. And he's like, well, Navali, you're welcome to watch if that's what you're into. (laughs) And she's like, nah, no thanks. Report to me when you're finished. Yeah. (laughs) She's like, I'm not into that kind of television programming. Yeah. I don't watch Dr. Pimple Popper or My 600 Pound Life or any of that crap. And he's like, man, this guy is really singed. Did he happen to stay at his post? (laughs) That's really going around on this ship. (laughs) I love how contextually you understand why the doctor is better at lying his way around six bay than he is getting close to a woman's heart, you know? Yeah. Like this is job stuff and he's good at his job. Yeah. Of course, that's my function. Kicks ass. Yeah. The doc needs some help for this procedure. And so he calls upon the Prometheus EMH. And uh, pretty surprising who appears here. Yeah. (laughs) Sex pest and comedy legend, (laughs) Andy Dick. I have itchy red welts on my buttocks, okay? It's kind of wild that, like, of the cast members of News Radio... Andy Dick is probably the one with the third worst outcome from that show <laughs> behind a beloved cast member who died Yeah, and Joe Rogan. Yeah. <laughs> On any other show, he would be the tops. Joe Rogan is uh, at least stupendously galactically wealthy. Right. And not dead. Despite being a laughing stock and total joke to every single person not in the group that listens to his show. Right, right. But a version of Andy Dick here that I found really interesting. Yes, yes, yes. You're the Mark One EMH. Beady eyes, terrible bedside manner. I recognize you. Yeah, so he is the Mark II of the EMH, and he is immediately kind of dragging the Mark I for being an inferior earlier model, which is pretty funny. Uh, I thought Mark 1 might be a fun thing to start calling the EMH. I was like, Mark, that's a good name. Oh, hi, Mark. Oh, yeah. I could see that. I was calling the Mark 2 the emergency medical dick. <laughs> which was fun for me. Yeah. One of the things I read about uh, Andy Dick being cast in this episode was that he really had no familiarity with Star Trek at all. And I think that is apparent watching his performance. Like there's an animation to him physically that is surprising. And it starts here. Like the physicality of his acting as the EMH here is uh, is bizarre. Right. And it it's a part of the comedy that runs through this episode is not just what he says, how he says it and his relationship to the Mark one, but just how he moves. It's such an un-Star Trek performance. It it doesn't feel like it's a, it's a take on a TOS performance. It doesn't feel like it's a take on a TNG performance. It doesn't feel like it's a take on anything. It feels so unique and, and strange. Yeah. And he gets so much 
space to move around in too. Like, I think that that's another aspect of this is that these sets are really big and he is a very physical performer and the camera goes wide and lets him like weird around a lot. Which is pretty unusual to watch given that there's a dude with a brain injury like laying motionless (laughs) in that room somewhere that we don't see potentially listening to them have this conversation. Yeah, gotta hope that that guy is truly unconscious at this point. Yeah. So they have an argument that involves a lot of like EMH Mark II turning himself off and EMH Mark I turning him back on. Now what? I need your help. This is early during the Dominion War, pre the Romulans entering the conflict. Right. Which is an interesting... Man, I feel like it was so long ago that we were reviewing those episodes of Deep Space Nine, but I guess this was airing right alongside those. It's true. Yeah. Someone's really enjoying it on that watch through that is in uh, Stardate order. Yeah. I also found it kind of funny that the Mark II is, seems to be sort of squeamish and weird about disease. Yeah. This ship is so new. He hasn't even been dusted off as a physician. <laughs> And this like roasted Romulan on the on the slab is like he's like, Ugh, don't want to touch that. Their relationship is so unusual, the Mark One and the Mark Two. Yeah. You really need this kind of patter to work because this is what you're hanging the entire episode on. Yeah. So uh AMH is like, okay, well, I'll just do the medical crap then, but I don't know what any of these tools are. This stuff is very foreign to me. God. The doc gets his hollow nuts absolutely smashed by Grabbing cone instead of triangle or something. <laughs> it's the cone-shaped device. Yeah. Hand it to me, please. Come on, Doc. That's not going to fit in that hole. <laughs> the Doc is trying to make the case that retaking the ship is something that they should do. Yeah. And Andy Dick's hollow character seems uh, very resistant to the idea, both according to the rules that he's aware of and according to his own sense of his own abilities. I'm a doctor, not a commando. Yeah, this is not in his program, and they'd better just wait this out according to regulations. And we know that's not really a workable plan for the EMH, because since he came here, they have left the sphere of influence of that satellite that the Prometheus happened to be flying near. And uh, the only way he's going to get back to Voyager is by getting back close to that by convincing whoever's in control of the ship to fly that direction. So he needs to retake the ship for personal existential reasons. And yet very little is ever voiced to that end, I thought. You know, like if that is a thrust to the doc's motivations here, he sure doesn't say it. Yeah. I mean, would he like being... In the A-Quad better than he likes being on Voyager? I don't really feel like his character has a a want in that respect. Yeah. Yeah, and maybe that's why we don't hear him say it. Maybe he doesn't care about being anywhere. Yeah. Maybe he doesn't give any fucks at all. I mean, I'm pretty sure he doesn't want to be on a ship that's been taken over by ROMs who are driving the ship towards Romulan space where it's going to be deconstructed or whatever. Yeah, that seems... Taken apart and studied. That seems like a real worst case scenario for this away mission. Back on Voyager, everyone on the bridge is just waiting for anything. Yeah. Any word at all to come back from the dock. Would love for the phone to ring, but it's not. Janeway has a stack of letters to send if they get a chance, including to Tom Mervins. Yeah. God, what do you say to Tom Mervins after this long? 
I've been unfaithful with another man's bathtub. I thought you might like to see the many hairstyles I've had over the years. <laughs> Perhaps you have a favorite. Maybe in 10 years, you'll be able to get a message back to me and let me know what you think. <laughs> Sounds great. This is a fun moment because everyone's in the same boat, right? Yeah, I was kind of surprised that she divulged the the Tom Mervyn's letter to Chicote. It kind of felt like a bit of a bucket of ice water on a, a romance that I I really shipped yeah, before this moment. Didn't like that at all. Neither did Chicote, clearly, because Chicote yeah. has to in the moment be like, "Oh yeah, I'm uh I'm also writing a bunch of letters to my wife, which I haven't told you about, <laughs> and all my girlfriends <laughs> and so forth." Yeah. You know, my Canadian wife yeah. that I've never brought up. <laughs> she's uh, she's great. <laughs> I really miss her. It's hard to talk about her, really. I mean, so hard to describe. She's so unique yeah. in every way. I guess you could say she's got a great ass. And you got your head all the way up it. This false hope, though, is familiar to everybody. We've been through this before. People are reluctant to put much of this out on Maine, yeah. you know? But there it is. Everyone's waiting. What gives? You know what else sucks is uh, the situation down in Six Bay. It's not yeah. going great without a doc there. And Tom Paris is getting called down by Neelix, who is very concerned to have some customers who have uh, eaten his food and gotten quite ill from it. This is a nightmare for any chef, home or yeah. professional. The Yelp reviews on Neelix's restaurant are going to start to really take a nosedive after this incident. I love this angle to Neelix's character. While everyone else is like writing letters that they want sent home to loved ones, Neelix is like, man, if we ever get back to Earth, I'm going to need a fucking job. <laughs> yeah. And I better learn how to make the Earth dishes that people crave. If I want to work at Cisco's, I better have a chili recipe that really slaps. I better learn how to pronounce jalapeno, for example. <laughs> what did you make of the musical score in that moment? Inflected with uh, some south of the border flavors? <laughs> Each time I'll use a few less jalapenos. <laughs> I don't know if you watched this with the uh, closed captioning on, but the very fun spelling of jalapenos. <laughs> In there. <laughs> Is it spelled like uh like busted car, like jalopy nose? I think it was like chill a pino. <laughs> wow. Yeah, it was uh it was delightful. Um yeah, this is this very much smells like the crisis that Neelix had when they got to the Necrid Expanse mm -hmm. because this was the bounds of his knowledge of this part of space, and he was worried he was gonna be useless. Neelix is always worried he's gonna become useless. Hey Neelix. Where was the chili back then? Outside the Necrid Expanse. Yeah, that would have been nice. This is a nightmare for Paris, though. If yeah. all he's doing is uh, food poisoning cases in the Six Bay. Yeah, it must smell awful in there. What did you feed them, anyway? I know this probably is going to fly under the radar of, of most people. Not a Greatest Generation viewer, certainly. What's up with Paris's fluffy hair in this scene? He looks like a guy who's been spending a lot of time in bed. You know? Yeah, it did seem extra fluffy. <laughs> Maybe it was the influence of Andy Dick being on set that week, yeah. who also has some pretty fluffy hair in this episode. Sure does. You know what? This is sexy. 
Okay. S-E-X-E. I've got to get that. Latinum. Put your Latinum where your mouth is. I've got to get that. Boy, do I love a microdose gummy from Lumi Labs. I'm uh, I'm running low, so I'm going to head over to microdose.com pretty soon and put in another order. Microdosing is a technique I use to steer my mentals in a preferred direction several times a week. And uh, I just love it because you can really predict what is going to happen and to what degree it is going to happen because these are very low-dose cannabis gummies that uh, give you an entry-level dose that help you feel just the right amount of good. And they've been super loyal as sponsors to Greatest Trek and Greatest Gen, so I hope you will give them a try. Get 30% off your first order plus free shipping today at microdose.com. Promo code SCARVES. It's available nationwide. That's microdose.com. Promo code is SCARVES for 30% off and free shipping. Microdose.com. Promo code SCARVES. You might have heard us talk about Squarespace before, and you're thinking, what do I need a website for? I already have a bunch of profiles across the different social medias. But isn't it time you had a place online that wasn't owned by a social media company? How about you take control of your online identity with a website of your own? For that, there's Squarespace. With Squarespace, you can buy a URL and build a customized website with your name, and not a giant social media company's name, with your name attached and a bunch of numbers at the end. With Squarespace, you can have a place on the internet personalized to your aesthetic that lets you tell people about who you are instead of an algorithm. And the best part is, you don't have to be an experienced designer or a web page creator to make something great because Squarespace is always there for you with their award-winning 24 by 7 customer support. Don't settle for being another company's product. Be your own product with a website that's all you with Squarespace. Go to squarespace.com for a free trial, and when you're ready to launch, use the offer code SCARVES to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. That's squarespace.com. The code is SCARVES. Think it. Dream it. Make it with Squarespace. Back for another game. You know it. What's going on? Just one more week till Max Fun Drive. <laughs> Hard to believe. It's been a heck of a year since the last one. We're now a worker-owned co-op. We raised $50,000 for charity last year. And we've added a bunch of awesome new shows. But do you think we're ready to do it again? Absolutely. Lovely new gifts are lined up. The episodes will be amazing. And wait till everyone hears the bonus content. Yeah, plus they know to go to MaximumFun.org newsletter, so they're getting all the news. Oh, like that meetup day is on Thursday, March 21st. Then what's bothering you? Me? Oh, nothing. We're all set for Max Fun Drive to start on Monday, March 18th. I just didn't want you to see this coming. Check. What? Hang on! Most of the plants humans eat are technically grass. Most of the asphalt we drive on is almost a liquid. The formula of WD-40 is San Diego's greatest secret. Zippers were invented by a Swedish immigrant love story. On the podcast Secretly Incredibly Fascinating, we explore this type of amazing stuff. Stuff about ordinary topics like cabbage and batteries and socks. Topics you'd never expect to be the title of the podcast. Secretly Incredibly Fascinating. Find us by searching for the word secretly in your podcast app. And at MaximumFun.org.
back on the Prometheus, the doc comes up with the idea of using a knockout gas and pumping it through the ship systems. And uh, they hit on neurozine as the one that they're going to use. And uh, he's actually bragging to EMH Mark Dick about uh, having free reign on Voyager because uh, the Prometheus has been built with hollow projectors all throughout. So Mark Dick can go wherever he wants and assumes Mark One is confined to his six bay, but uh, yeah. he doesn't know about the 29th century tech. There's kind of a hollow measuring contest happening throughout this episode between them. Speaking of measuring, as the Mark One goes through some of his bona fides, he like lists off like time travel and away missions and all kinds of accomplishments, including boning down. And we learn that canonically, he has added a dick to his program. I've even had sexual relations. Sex? I watched this moment over and over again, and I was like, <laughs> there is no way that it could be interpreted any other way, right? No. There isn't. There isn't any other interpretation to this. That is what that means. The doc has a dick. The doc has a dung. He added it himself. Yeah. He got to specify parameters and everything. He got to decide what seven of nine looked like, and he got to make himself a dick. <laughs> what the fuck? The EMH Mark Dick asks for him to transfer those program files to him before they part ways. I'm a virgin. And I wondered if that meant that the other EMH would have an identical dick? <laughs> or is there like a dick building part of the software, like when you start Skyrim <laughs> and you design your character? Yeah, this ain't Skyrim has got <laughs> that part to the character builder. Longer, longer, <laughs> longer. <laughs> yeah, that part was a little more ambiguous. Mm. The what exactly was Andy Dick asking for there? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's sort of what Andy Dick relied on for years. It's true. Plausible deniability. The doc is kind of the boss here. The, the Mark One doc, I mean. Yeah. Because he gives uh, Andy Dick the canisters of, of nerve gas and sends him into the Jeffries tube nearby. It seems like all six bays have a Jeffries tube, right? It seems like it, yeah. To duck into in an emergency situation. Your journey begins here. If there are Borgs coming through the door, you go out the Jeffries tube. Sure do. But Mark One needs to turn on the ventilation to complete this plan, and that's going to involve going in front of these ROMs. So they are really taking a big risk to put this plan into action. But on the bridge, the doc carries that same kind of confidence he had when he was visited in the six bay earlier. Yeah. Like he's there to do a job. He's there to make some observations. Uh, everyone there has been exposed to a virus, he says. And uh, Captain Judson Scott kind of allows him to go about his business because everything kind of seems on the up and up. We learn in this scene that their plan is to give this ship to the Tal Shiar, not to the Romulan military. And uh, who knows what kind of nasty hijinks that the Tal Shiar would get up to if they had a ship like this. I love how our perspective stays with the doc here for this conversation, right? Yeah. You're really with him. It's a pretty long, uncut shot that just kind of pans with him around the bridge. And eventually he's in the foreground and Judson Scott's in the background and Judson Scott is on to him. Yeah. It's hard to imagine what sort of danger he'd be in. We don't find out until later. Right now, we cut back to Voyager 6 Bay, where Paris is wrapping it up with the last food poisoning patient. Yeah. Next time, order the chicken salad. 
He's finally uh, got the last customer out of the store. Yeah. That's a good feeling. Time to turn the sign around, <laughs> lock the front door. <laughs> yeah. Maybe sweep up a little bit. Kim walks in after hours. This is fun, right? Once the shop's closed, you have your buddies come in. Yeah. Shoot the shit. Yeah. And uh, how long has the AMH been away at this point? Because this is Paris. Like, I am desperate for you to get somebody else to do Six Bay in my place. It seems like it's been a couple hours max, right? I mean, but Paris has been doing nothing but study fecal samples all day, though, right? Like, (laughs) he's sick of it. Yeah. And he dumps on Kim for this. I am a pilot, Harry, not a doctor. He wants Kim to design a replacement EMH. And Kim is like, are you fucking nuts? Like, that's really hard. That guy Zimmerman is like one of the best... Hollow designers in Starfleet. I, I'm, I'm no Zimmerman. The only part of the EMH I've ever designed was the dick. And that was after the doc <laughs> asked me to do it a couple months ago. He asked me to base it on the best dick on the ship. So naturally, I used my own. He was in my quarters when he asked me. And I you know, wanted to figure out what he was going for. And he, he gestured toward my clarinet. <laughs> and we both wordlessly understood what he was going for. <laughs> his strange bell-shaped penis two and a half feet long with a wooden reed it's the the only dick in the fleet that's uh, right at home in a klezmer band (laughs) is this what an episode of the delta flyers is like yeah just this energy between kim and paris yeah i hope so i hope so down the astrometrics lab BLT is working with Seven, and she um, is trying to make Seven understand what is unpleasant about working with her. And I thought that this was kind of a nice way of talking about what it's like to be a Borg without it ever having gotten specifically into Jerry Ryan saying a line like, as a Borg, blah, 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 which I feel (laughs) like they've done so much of. Yeah. But like... You really understand that like social graces aren't a thing that you need to have when you live in a collective conscience. And so like all of this shit is new to her. Like like please and thank you are are concepts that are slowly coming online. Right and the, and BLT is fairly direct like you would expect, right? She's not doing that post therapy suggestion of like uh this is how this makes me feel. Like not making it a <laughs> an attack. Yeah. She's not about that at all. And it's some pretty tough love, I think. You're rude. I am rude. Yeah. It sucks that you're never nice to anyone. <laughs> yeah. But uh, the session gets interrupted, Ben, by an incoming transmission from a Bane. Mm. Who's like, I've noticed you're using my network. And I demand that you stop. You merely adopted my network. It's mine to begin with. (laughs) And then this dude just straight up turns off the link. Yeah. That was considerate of them to get on the blower, though, you know? Yeah. They'd be chasing this problem down for hours. Right. They've been on somebody else's cellular network using their minutes, and uh, they didn't realize it. They thought that this thing was abandoned. But it turns out it's not. Turns out there is somebody home. And this is really bad news because not only is the EMH out of range of this comms array, but they're not even allowed to use it now. It sucks so bad. 
And it's like a situation that the doc doesn't even know about, which I think is an interesting wrinkle, right? Because if the doc knew, there would be greater stress on his end. But he's just acting as if he's got to get the Prometheus back to that point in space where they can talk. Yeah. He doesn't know that opportunity has been taken away. All he knows is that he needs to get through this interrogation. And yeah. Judson Scott is uh, threatening him with uh, with some pretty nasty stuff, but it's not like he has the ChronoWorks computer where he can actually inflict pain on the doctor. Yeah, the doc's been tortured before. Yeah. It's not going to be that bad this time. Yeah. He's like doing that insane, I've been through way worse torture subject laugh. <laughs> Like, uh, you think you can hurt me? <laughs> you can't hurt shit! <laughs> Jetson Scott's not going to be able to do a lot after the gas starts blowing in yeah. through the ventilation system. Saved by the gas. Nice work, yeah. Mark Dick. Unfortunately, uh, Mark Dick used the VX poison gas. <laughs> EMH Mark II had to improvise. Inspiration. Yeah. And the effects are are pretty grotesque. Yeah, it's really nasty stuff. Uh, we watch people's faces melt away. Yeah. Every single one of these ROMs is going to live out the rest of their life in a beeping chair, most yeah. likely, if at all. Yeah. Pretty grisly. Didn't think uh, emergency medical dick had it in him. Yeah. But they are like celebrating this great success. They did it. Yeah. So now all they got to do is get up to the bridge and turn the ship around because it's heading toward Romulan space and get it pointed back toward that array so that they can uh, make contact with the Voyager. It's going to be great. Until they realize that there are only four people in the universe that can fly this ship. Uh-oh. And they ain't two of them. <laughs> no, definitely not. Yeah, And I love that the, the solution to a ship on autopilot heading to the Romulan border is for the dock to just cram a stick into the spokes of the ship. <laughs> There's a little trick I saw Mr. Paris do once. Because this thing drops out of warp in a fairly violent manner. Yeah. He's messing around with the controls. Mark Dick reveals himself to be a bit of a nook freak. <laughs> and... Uh, it's stressful because they like stop the ship, but then there's alarm bells and it sounds like the warp core is going critical. And then once they solve for warp core, they've got Romulans inbound, you know, two steps forward, 10 steps back kind of a thing. Yeah. I know you don't want to do it. Do it. Coffee black. Make it yourself. I'm trying to help you see this as an opportunity to grow. Make it yourself. Back on Voyager. The captain is attempting to uh, talk some sense into this Herogen guy. And he's like, I can't have sense talked into me. Get off this line. <laughs> this is a protected line. You do not have my permission to use the network. You do have my permission to die. <laughs> and then he starts rapping. Yeah. <laughs> it's really weird. Well, while I have you here, I do have some new lyrics. Drop the beat. I don't, I don't care, my name is Bane, and I'm here to say I consider you to be my kind of prey. Uh, yeah, the captain can't convince this guy, like, hey, like, if we could just complete the one call, mm -hmm. then we'll leave your thing alone. Like, he's really not working with them. He doesn't even want to hear her pitch of, like, hey, maybe we could help you, like, something we could, something we could trade for a little time on the network. Like, like treat this like an internet cafe where you just, uh, you know, plunk down 20 on the counter and you can do whatever you want back there in the booth. And he's like, you're just going to use this to look at weird porn. Here's what I'll offer. 
I will break your captain's back over my knee. <laughs> End of offer. <laughs> Seven sends some wharf lightning down the line to this guy and knocks him out. She says it's not enough to kill him. We'll have to take her word for it. It was a mild shock. He will recover. And when he does? This might be my favorite Janeway react of the entire series so far. The look on her face when she realizes what happened <laughs> and that she can't really do anything about it. Like she can't even discipline Seven of Nine for this. Yeah. It's like a, we'll have to like get some vegetable broth and sit in my office and talk about like when to use lethal force and when not to at a later time. But right now, this is kind of an emergency. I think the magic trick of the scene is that BLT is on board with the method. Yeah. If BLT gestured to Seven at Janeway and was like, do you see what I'm working with here? <laughs> Look, when the wharf lightning hit Bane, I said nothing. Yeah. But that's going to be me next. Yeah. She sends wharf lightning at everybody. Yeah. In Six Bay, Harry is ready to fire up the replacement hologram. And uh, it starts in sort of an inert state. It's uh, it's just the dock, but staring blankly off into the distance. And their idea is like, now we'll just load all of the knowledge of the Starfleet medical computer into this guy and, uh, you know, pull the string and see what happens. How hard of an acting challenge do you think this is for Robert Ricardo to be as still and eyes wide open as he is in this moment? Because the camera's on him for quite a while. I was really impressed with how still he was. Yeah, he did a good job. It's got to be like a one of those things that like shouldn't be exhausting, but super is. Yeah. Yeah. I wonder how many takes you get out of a person doing this yeah. before you just can't do it. <laughs> before you're Judson Scotting. Yeah. It doesn't work. They just dump software into him too fast is what happened. Yeah. You shouldn't use a funnel. All you can do is read transcripts of Grey's Anatomy's episode. You don't get to call me a whore. Yeah. Which is like... Uh, a heartfelt monologue that sounds like someone's diary entry. But then it, like, then right after that, there's like a dramatic hospital scene. Mm -hmm. But that hospital scene isn't really about like fixing someone's medical trauma as much as it, as it is like about an interpersonal conflict that you aren't really clear like what the connection is until much later in the episode. Yeah. And then you're like, whoa. And then there's another diary entry at the very end. Yeah. That's what he's reading. Yeah. They did make him much dreamier. Right. I will say. That's true. They can't shut it off, though. That's the annoying part. No. He just keeps talking and talking. Yeah. They have to let it overload. And it uh, doesn't seem like Paris is going to get the reprieve he's been looking for. Harry Kim leaves him with a copy of the uh, contents of the software and walks out of there. He's so sad about this. Yeah. I don't know if I've ever seen Paris this sad. Very, very devastating. I don't like it. He just wants to fly starships with his friends. Yeah. This isn't what he's been meant to do. No, it's the worst. So in space around the Prometheus, all of these Romulan warbirds pull in and the two doctors are sitting on the bridge trying their darndest to either run away or mount a fight or at least put the shields up. Raise them. They don't know what they're doing. I can't. There are so many controls. It's been a long time, Ben, since we've seen this model of Romulan Warbird on screen, and I really, really love it. Yeah. Like uh, these old Dideridex class ships, Ben, made me wonder if that's in the running for baby names. Dideridex. Hmm. 
The Teradex. I'll have to float that one by my wife. I think that's a cool ass name that you should consider. Yeah, I won't tell her what the derivation is. Please don't. She's going to find out later. It's a Yiddish name, I'm pretty sure. I just like the way it sounds. <laughs> Andy Dick is getting more Andy Dick by the second Yeah, in this scene, which is really, like, when I thought about it, more of a Martin Short impression than anything else. Ooh, yeah. He's animated in that kind of Martin Short energy. Yeah. They get a hail from one of the Romulan vessels, and I really liked Mark One's stab at doing a Romulan answering. Yeah. Like, he's he's trying to represent as one of the uh, crewmen that came over with Commander Judson Scott and... Uh, you know, the, they start asking questions that he's not going to be able to answer and, you know, start asking to see visuals of the bridge. And he's like, eh. <laughs> yeah, we got to go. <laughs> he's got that energy of a kid calling their school, like acting like their parent, calling his yeah. their kid out sick, you know. Brandon is very sick and can't come to class today. Yeah, it's a real like Abe Froman energy he's bringing to the call. <laughs> yeah. So the Romulans start shooting at them, and then they're like, oh, crap, more ships are coming, and this is Federation ships. And the Federation ships are shooting at them, too. Yeah. They can't let this vital piece of materiel fall into Romulan hands. This is a really tasty space battle scene, and I was thinking about it, like, did I want to see more of the Del Sol battle if it meant seeing less of this? I got to believe that someone had to make a really tough decision. Yeah. With how much energy and money you give to a space battle scene. And I mean, it's no wonder they, they gave more of it to this. Yeah. Cause this has two defiant class ships in it. Yeah. It's a very exciting battle and it includes a lot of mishaps on behalf of the doctors who like let a torpedo go and it hits one of the defiant class ships. It wasn't my fault. Well then whose fault was it? The torpedoes? They don't really know what they're doing, but then like one of them accidentally sits on the panel that, starts the ship separation sequence and they're able to destroy a warbird or two and uh you know tilt the the battle in their favor and also convince the starfleets that they're not a threat when the andy dick hollow initiates a three-way <laughs> things get a lot easier for everyone involved because the computer is like hey where do you want the missiles to go <laughs> and all you have to do is tell the computer where they're going yeah it really helps them out. It's really easy. Yeah. Turns out four people in the Federation know how to fly this ship, but really everybody knows how to fly this ship. It's true. Great success, Ben. Yeah. The good guys win. A couple of Starfleet security guys with rifles beam over and are surprised to find a couple of Ease MH on the bridge. Right. And in very short order, the MH is back on the Voyager. Yeah, we don't see any sort of conclusion to that part of the story right we don't we just elliptically cut back to voyager it is just a hey i'm back everything is good uh, he appears very slowly in the six bay it takes a while for his image to kind of resolve and the report from the front is really interesting and surprisingly emotional yeah i wanted you to know you're no longer alone yeah, and this is the reason I'm glad we didn't see his side of this interaction because it's so much more satisfying to experience the report being given to Janeway and Chicote. Yeah, really is. It's 
such a relief for Janeway to hear that word of their still being alive has made it to Starfleet Command and their families and everything. I mean, that part comes after the doc tells Janeway that her dog is dead and Tom Mervins <laughs> has moved on with a new wife. Yeah, which is a real gut punch. Kind of a ton of shit dumped on Janeway's head here before finally going like, yeah, but work-wise, the work stuff is good. Yeah. Starfleet wants us to know that uh, that we're not alone out here, but boy, not much of a home life to return to, yeah. Captain. I'm sorry. They did say that Tom Mervins and his new wife were opening the relationship up for a while, but it sort of led to a lot of conflict, and so they closed it back down. Right. And so, like, nobody at command really thinks you have a shot with him at this point. <laughs> oh, and also, Chakotay, we... Uh, we gave all your letters to the recipients you had written down, but it was all returned to sender as if yeah. they didn't exist. So not really sure what was going on there. Did you make these people up? or I mean, it's weird when you addressed your note to Canadian girlfriend. Yeah. <laughs> it was always ever going to be sent back. Yeah. Chakotay's like, well, what did you say about the whole Maquis were part of the crew now thing? And the MH is like, yeah, they were really mad about that. And uh have ordered Janeway to put you guys off the ship. You guys got to find your own way home, according to command. That is a great call. Like the response is you're not alone. And also as soon as you get home, you're under arrest. (laughs) (laughs) So uh, just a slack jaw shock from Chakotay into credits as we end this episode. Did you like it, Ben? There are three things to remember about being a Starship captain. I really like this episode. I mean, I think that uh, like a lot of TV shows that use actors that we then found out a million horrible things about, it, it does feel a little bit weird to watch. Correct. Yeah. But setting the many alleged crimes of Andy Dick aside, hashtag team love it's, uh, <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, <laughs> I do really like this episode and I like the bravery of having it actually impact the story. Like that first episode where they broadcast through the wormhole to the ROM and then it turned out he was, you know, in a different time period and couldn't even hope to get word to Starfleet ever. That was a good episode, but it it didn't feel like it changed anything about what, is going to be happening with the show going forward. And this really does feel like it is bold enough to change the conditions of the show. Like now the people at home know that they're out there and are working from their end to try and find a way to help them speed up the process. Yeah. I was really surprised by that too. Like I, I got the feeling through 90% of the episode that this was just another ham and cheese Star Trek episode that was silly and fun, but boy, the button really hits hard yeah. in a way I wasn't expecting. And uh, I mean, what are we? We're, we're over halfway through this series. Yeah, like we're, we're just over the halfway mark. It's time to start thinking about, you know, the expectations yeah. of the end of this thing. And this is when I'm starting to yeah. with uh, an ending like this. I also really thought the Prometheus as a place is just too great of a set to use only once. Like, I know. (laughs) I'm blown away by the resources used in an episode like this. 
to the extent that I, I'm like, this isn't the last time we're going to be on this ship or a ship like it, right? That just seems impossible to me. I wonder if the decision to make it as lily white as it was, was based on that. Like this won't get the kind of hard use that a standing Voyager set gets so we can make the materials all lighter and more yeah like stuff that would be a fucking nightmare to maintain if we're using it week after week whereas uh if it's a one-off it can just look really like pristine and brand new and and futury a really anachronistic color scheme i would say right like because this ship's mission is deep space assault or something like this is a warship <laughs> Yeah. And it's as beige as it gets on the inside. It's got that pleasure barge TNG 1701D energy to it. Yeah, it really does. Interesting look. Yeah. I hope we see it again. I hope we see something in our P1 inbox, Adam. You want to go check that out? Oh, man, I'm in there and uh, and the text is painted eggshell. I can barely read it. Oh, man. Yeah, we'll have to squint. Priority one message from Starfleet coming in on secured channel. Need a supplemental income. Supplemental income? Supplemental. Supplemental. Yeah, it's extra. But the interest alone could be enough to buy this ship. Looks like our first one here is from Carly on Fiber, and it goes to Steve, whose room we wrecked. It goes like this. Hi, Steve. I don't know if you're an FOD, but when I started cleaning up the mess my team left, you were wearing a Star Trek The Cruise polo, so I figured this is worth a shot. Apologies for what an absolute clusterfuck my team left when they moved on to the next part of the project. It was so embarrassing that I'm buying you an apology P1. Whoa. Wow. Yeah, I mean, if you are walking around a workplace wearing a Star Trek The Cruise polo, you can make some assumptions. Decent chance that that person is a friend of DeSoto or may become one someday. Carly certainly is. Maybe Steve will hear this years from now and, and you know, try to remember what room did a, a person named Carly wreck of mine. Hey, Carly, you're not off the hook here. What are you doing <laughs> leaving messes for other people to clean up? Well, it sounds like it was her team that left the mess. Oh, maybe this is some um, under the bus throwing that Carly's doing. It's not Carly, certainly. Carly's a great FOD. Yeah. They would never. They would never. Wow. Well, uh, I hope this makes it to Steve. And uh, if it makes Steve a friend of DeSoto, even better. Steve, write in. Let us know if this reaches you or not. Yeah. And let us know the condition of your room also. Yeah. Yeah. What happened? What even happened? Ben, our next Priority One message is from Scott of Detroit. The message is to Terry, the interrupter of Atlanta. Mm. The message goes like this. Myriad Miriam, RIP, RSVP, Borg, Borgs, Enterprise, Entrepreneur, Sick Bay, Six Bay, Maquis, Maquis, Hole, Hurl, Umbridge, Uxbridge, Uxbridge, apply directly to the Umbridge, Uxbridge, apply directly to the Umbridge, Uxbridge, apply directly to the Umbridge. That's our whole greatest generation thesaurus right there. Yeah, that, that was a, a rich taxonomy of terminologies that we use on the show. Is that Was there somebody at the Atlanta show that like didn't understand why we were mis, misusing words? Whoa. I'm wondering if this is directed at... And then Terry became a, a problem in that crowd? Uh, yeah, I can't remember. I, 
You were pretty fucked up that show. Yeah, well, we had uh, we had hecklers at uh, at almost every show, right? <laughs> I would say a couple of people that like then took to the internet and were mad that we told them to stop talking during the show that people paid to see. <laughs> oh, I don't remember seeing any of that. Those people are wrong. That was mostly on the Reddit. <laughs> yeah, I mean. That doesn't surprise me at all. Like people that went home from the show and were like, fuck Ben and Adam. They're such assholes. I came to the show and I was contributing and then they told me to be quiet. That is a very Reddit perspective to have. (laughs) Hey, here's a tip for the the Redditors out there who don't fucking get it. If you bought a ticket to a thing, Mm. you're there to see the thing, not to be the thing. Yeah. Enjoy. Yeah. Have fun. Right. Just enjoy it. Yeah. Wow fired up about this. <laughs> yeah, don't worry about it, buddy. It's all in the past. I don't read the Reddit. Yeah, and you're better for it. Your mood has been Im- immensely improved since you stopped reading the Reddit. I just get the minutes from you. Yeah, yeah. I just I tell you about a bad thing that happened over there every so often. Thanks. Adam, if people want to get a Priority One message, it's it couldn't be simpler. Even a Redditor could figure it out. <laughs> You go to MaximumFun.org slash Jumbotron. You set it up. It's 100 bucks for a personal message and 200 for a commercial message. And uh, it helps keep the lights on around here. You could really use your support. Hey, Ben. What's that, Adam? Did you find yourself a drunk Shimoda? Incredible. Drunk Shimoda! I did. I'm uh, going to give it to Herogen Guy. I just think it is very funny that... This guy wears this crazy helmet and the face mask and the armor and is super angry. And yet his job is telephone operator. I just laughed and laughed as I thought about the fact that he just sits there all day monitoring telephone communications with a helmet on. (laughs) (laughs) Chill out, man. (laughs) Maybe it's a place with a lot of exposed duct work. Yeah. Overhead. Oh, like you yeah. don't want to bonk yourself on, on any pipes or anything. They used to use a lot of asbestos in the uh, Herogen part of space. And, you know, yeah. it just pays to be careful. Now I have to breathe through this device. <laughs> ben, it is so hard for me to pick against Andy Dick. Yeah. And his EMH character for my Shimoda. I think I got to make it him. Wow. Wow. What a bizarre performance. (laughs) But ultimately, a performance I was there for, like, really stood out. Wow. So you approve of Andy Dick? What the fuck? As being separate from what we're used to on Star Trek in a useful way. Yeah. That's how I'll put that. (laughs) That's how I'll put that in a way that uh, a Redditor can't possibly weaponize against me. Hmm. But can a Twitter person? You'd have to write something pretty bizarre to get through all my muted words and phrases. <laughs> well, Adam, um, I'm going to head to gach.biz slash game. But first, I'm going to tell you about season four, episode 15, Hunters. The Voyager crew face a new threat from a violent species of hunters called the Herogen. <laughs> hey, they're back. <laughs> Some people would say I never left. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. Seems like they really liked this guy when they introduced him. So why not? Uh, why not just keep him in the mix? You know, the bane from this episode was uh, Tiny Ron. 
Yeah. Wow. May her do. Well, Tiny Ron loves getting drunk at him, but uh, over at the game of buttholes, the will of the caretaker, it looks like we only have one opportunity to do that based on where our runabout is. We're on square 31. You're required to learn as you play. Roll. You could either hit a Delta Flyer, which would take us up to a measure of a man square, or we could hit a Neelix's Galley, which would be a champagne episode. Mm. But uh, otherwise, just normal episode. And I'm going to go ahead and roll this bone. I rolled a one. Chula! Did I win? Hardly. So we're on square 32. Regular old episode next week. Jeez. All right. Inching along. Yeah. As you do. Regular rep. Yeah. The good kind. Yeah, that's the that's the best kind, really. I'm not wiggling out of a normal lip. Hmm. No way. <laughs> that's a kind I'm going to show up for. Wow. Prepared and ready. Okay. All right. Well, I sure appreciate everybody that uh, supports this show. I know Adam does, too. I do. Uh, the folks that go to MaximumFun.org slash join and set up a monthly support level. It's, it's painless for you makes a big difference for us we really appreciate it yeah we got to thank wendy pretty our producer who uh is uh keeping everything organized keeping us on task keeping episodes scheduled and locked and loaded especially during my uh my family leave so uh the fact that you're getting this on time and uh we were able to record it ahead of time is all due to her hard work we really really appreciate her just as we appreciate the maestro of the music true that you hear on the show uh, what you're hearing right now is made by dark materia the person who granted us permission to use the picard song but the uh, theme and interstitial music throughout the greatest gen oeuvre made by the great adam ragusia you can find him on youtube and on your podcaster of choice true he's a busy bee he is. He's a very busy man, but we love him a ton, and we really appreciate him. Also busy is the great Bill Tilly, who uh, runs our social media accounts at Greatest Trek on Instagram and Twitter. Go follow those accounts. Come on. What are you doing? Bill's about to get married. I was just going to say, Bill is getting married next week, which makes this week a great time to find him on the social media and tell him how much you appreciate what he does. Yeah. Give him a hearty congratulations on uh, on some happy nuptials and wedded bliss. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's uh, a great long list. Oh, we got to thank Nick Dittmore, who made the show art for this show and helps us with our store. Go over to podshop.biz and buy some merch, why don't you? That helps get Nick paid. It's all there. And with that, we will be back at you next week with another great episode of Star Trek Voyager, an episode of the greatest generation Voyager that a lot of people would describe as hack because we just spend the entire time doing our pain impression. I, for one, am very happy with the return of Bane. Maybe I'll be back also. I haven't done this one in a while. And yet it comes so naturally to me. It's sort of a gravelly Nixon. You do your Bane impression, and I'll show these people a Star Trek series about hope. We keep making Greatest Generation because Friends of DeSoto can take it. <laughs> <laughs>
Comedy and culture. Artist owned, audience supported.